Searching for the perfect gift idea for that hard-to-buy person on your list? The Allbirds Wool Runner is a natural fit. The Wool Runner is super cozy, super comfy, and super giftable. It's made with ZQ-certified merino wool, a naturally cozy material that offers next-level comfort and a lower environmental impact. The cushioned midsole and versatile design offer all-day comfort in a classic style you can wear every day, even in a winter wonderland. And its fully machine-washable construction makes it easy to keep your shoes looking like new. Allbirds shows off the Wool Runner's carbon footprint right on the shoe so you can see the difference for yourself. On top of that, they actually offset that carbon footprint to zero, making the Wool Runner completely carbon neutral, so you can stay cozy and tread lighter on the planet. This holiday season, give tidings for comfort and coziness with the Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair at Allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Hey, welcome to the Transform You Live show. If you have already begun your personal transformation journey or you want to start one, this is the place to do it, where we share stories, books, and much more valuable information to help you along your step forward. Let's tune in now. Hello, my people, my people, my people. Welcome back to another amazing show. This is a special show. This is the exclusive interview uh, in which you guys are definitely going to have yourself glued to the screen to if you happen to be watching if you happen to be listening or replaying back uh, we thank you as well for uh, being able to join us so uh, this would be a time to get your pencils out and definitely uh, be st- as studious as you can uh, i'm your host of course uh, marcus hart this is the transform you live show this is the only show where you can make real life and business transformation harness and power optimism hope and faith uh, so today we have a wonderful guest um, that I am just humbled to uh, be uh, in the presence of. Uh, so uh, who am I talking about? So I'm talking about today, uh, Lou Marinoff, Dr. Lou Marinoff. Uh, so Lou is a professor of philosophy and Asian studies at the City College of New York. He is an international best-selling author of Plato, not Prozac, the Bible of the Philosophy. Physiological Counseling Movement, translated into 25 languages. Uh, he's also uh, has some other bestsellers, including Therapy for the Sane, The Power of Dao, The Inner Philosopher, and The Middle Way. Uh, he has uh, many other accolades, including uh, being the founding president of the American Physiological... Ah, I'm going to allow him to finish finish my words for me because he is the the phd holder and not me so let's bring in luke how's it going luke hey marcus how are you i'm doing fine it's definitely a pleasure to have you with me today uh luke you know they heard me say a little bit about you in my own words as i continue to struggle you know but how about you just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh all that you uh bring to the table here today oh sure well you, you've already said i'm professor of philosophy at the city college of new york and you said that with some recognition it's a as you know and your audience i hope knows it's a very storied public institution uh we've we've graduated more than uh i think 11 now nobel laureates from our distinguished alumni it used to be the free academy it was free till 1976 it's also known as the harvard of the proletariat we try and give people the best possible education at the lowest possible uh cost and that's a tradition and it's also has a mission of being founded for the whole people we have more than um we have students from more than 150 countries 
uh, and it's really a microcosm of the global village. So it's a it's a great honor and a privilege, uh, actually, to be a professor there. Very interesting experience and a, and a lifelong one. As you mentioned, uh, I'm a founder or a pioneer, a founder of the American Philosophical Practitioners Association. Yes, it's a tongue twister. Uh, it's a, we can call it APA for short. And we, we're a nonprofit that actually trains philosophers to be useful, Marcus. We've been doing this for um, more than 20 years now. We train philosophers as counselors and facilitators and consultants so they can uh, deploy their considerable skill set outside the academy where it can actually help people in everyday life. And as you were kind enough to mention, Plato, not Prozac, among other books. Uh, yes, th those have become international bestsellers, which took me by surprise and obviously changed my life. But they've helped millions of people around the world. So I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about that tonight and how philosophical practice, philosophical counseling, not only my works, but the works of my colleagues in this movement, can also help people through this ghastly pandemic. Yeah, that's... You know, speaking of, of, of the pandemic, and uh, we really thank you for, you know, uh, taking the time out and being with us today. Uh, it's quite an honor uh, indeed, you know, and I just want to stretch that. You know, can you share with our listeners how the pandemic has affected, you know, your life, your students and your family as well? Well, sure. If you want something on a personal side, I'm I'm more than happy to share it with you. But part of that answer is going to be, I hope, very useful for your listeners, too. So let me take it in reverse order. On the family side, I have to confess I'm originally from Canada. And most I've been in the States for 25 years now and I'm naturalized. But my family's mostly up there and in England. So needless to say, Marcus, I haven't seen him for, uh, since our lockdown in March. And my mom, God bless her, is going to be 97 next month. And she survived this thing. She's in a very good elder care facility. But I'm sure you know and your listeners know that these places were devastated by, by COVID. And they had a very high mortality rate. My mom got it. And we were all kind of preparing for the worst. And she's a tough fighter. She pulled through. Um, and, and she, she's doing fine now. She's tested negative. So if I'm allowed to say, hi, mom, we love you. <laughs> Happy birthday coming up. And we'll, we'll try and visit as soon as possible. So I can't cross the border. Um, and so my family obviously is in touch. We, we email, we talk, we FaceTime, but as you know, it's not the same thing as being in the room with people, right? Um, so every family has had their issues with this. There's no question. Uh, as far as uh, my students are concerned, last March, the college closed by order of the governor. The whole university system shut down and, and the campuses were closed. We had to migrate uh, online as we're talking now on a platform, a very good one. So we've been using other platforms to continue the education of our students, which is of paramount importance. I feel very badly for the ones who couldn't go to commencement. That's a really big deal to earn a degree and to want to celebrate. It's a right that they have. They are privileged. They've earned, but they were deprived of that. Nonetheless, we're not allowing them to get derailed. The administration and faculty have really pulled together to make sure that they can continue their education online. And I think they're very grateful for it. It gives them an anchor point during, during the day, during the week. Um, it's not as good as being in the classroom, but it's infinitely better than nothing, obviously. So uh, we've been able to continue that process. Okay, that's two out of three. Shall I cover the third base now? Yes, let's let's do it. You know, um, I I think you know as you were talking, the initial lockdowns, you know, were in fact necessary to protect the health and safety of those in our country. But the COVID nineteen lockdowns have you know definitely devastated the the natural 
the, the national economies and paralyzed social interactions, um, leaving people fearful, angry, and very frustrated, you know, myself included. And I, I, and I can just hear and feel the, the emotion, you know, appearing through the, the microphone as you were talking. So, you know, for, for most business, small business owners uh, like myself and, and many others, how can they turn this thing around in the coming months and, you know, stay positive and productive in right. their very own lives? Right. You know, you, you seem to have most of the answers here, you know, um, you know. Please don't <laughs> set the bar that high for me. I'm a philosopher. <laughs> I like to remind people that philosophers have, we don't have all the answers. We have all the questions. Okay. So I can certainly help people to ask some pertinent questions and I will do so directly. The third thing about the first question, I want to return to it briefly because it's going to come up again as we speak, Marcus. You asked me how this thing's affected my life in addition to my students and my family. What I began to realize after the lockdown, and now I'm going to work my way around to answering this question that's on the table. Okay. Just bear with me a little bit. Philosophers are sometimes uh, people who find it difficult to be brief, but I will come to an important point, which will be a takeaway for your audience, I'm sure. Uh, what I began to realize after the lockdown was that my life as a philosopher had not changed that much. Other people's lives were being devastated. People lost jobs. People people had all kinds of issues. Uh, I began to talk to my colleagues and say to them, you know, I'd call them up and say, hey, are you experiencing, aside from all the medical stuff and the social stuff and the political stuff and everything else, but is your life as a philosopher changing that much? No, and there's a really important reason why, and I'll share it with you now. It's because philosophers, a lot of us spend a lot of time thriving in solitude. We need solitude to think. We like to think deeply or think we're thinking deeply. We definitely need solitude to read, to write, and to think, whether it's long walks in the woods or whether it's just relaxing at home, but thinking constantly, that's what we do for a living. And so for us, it's not a punishment to be locked down. It gives us more opportunity to live the kind of life that we love living. Now, what I think is that many Americans and many people worldwide, for that matter, could benefit from getting in touch with their inner philosopher at this point. This is the luxury they now have if they can get a handle on how to make use of it. And I will give you some hints, perhaps, how to do that. So what I'm trying to say to you is that uh, philosophy in normal times is considered abnormal. But in abnormal times, actually, it's quite normal for us uh, to be locked down like this, and we're being very productive in our own ways. So maybe what people can do to begin with is actually to find some philosophers who could be very useful to them as guides, as mentors, as I like your word, Marcus, transformers. Yes, uh, philosophy is a transformative experience. And if you get in touch with your inner philosopher, you might find out there's someone in there who's been dormant, who's been sleeping. If you wake up your inner philosopher, that person can help guide you through this time. So that's one takeaway sort of key idea, okay? To the business, well, look, times are really tough if you're turning to a philosopher for business advice. But, you know, I work with a lot of business leaders also. And not that I have advice for them, but I've learned from them. And I'll share with you what I'm discovering. What you probably know already is that a lot of small businesses in small towns and communities are actually doing okay. I mean, they've tightened their belts, but community-based yeah. businesses are benefiting from the great American spirit of grassroots support and community support, and they're mm -hmm. actually managing. In my town, I live in a village, and a lot of them are fine. They were locked down for a while, now they're reopening, and they're not going out of business because they have tremendous community support. People are buying stuff from them locally, and that's a good thing. We see horrifically a lot of mid-sized businesses 
who, who simply couldn't survive this. I guess they didn't have enough liquidity. And I'm imagining that, unfortunately for Americans, a lot of Americans are in debt. A lot of us are not wealthy because we're, we're rich or we have money in the bank. A lot of us are wealthy because we're able to service debt. That's negative wealth. It's not good. This pandemic has exposed all our weaknesses, be they economic, political, social, you name it. So what I've learned this morning doing a conference with European business leaders uh, just this day, and they were telling me what they're developing in the EU, and that might be helpful here, are called private-private partnerships. So this could be a good takeaway for your business community. In other words, we're big on public-private partnerships in the U.S. We do a lot of that. We do it well. But no one's talking about private-private partnerships. And what these people mean are, for example, getting a, a conglomerates together and creating portals for business people to learn from other private enterprises techniques and tricks and ways to leverage a situation and perhaps even funding sources that they didn't have previously. So private-private partnerships might be a way that some businesses can bail themselves out of this. I'm just throwing that on the table. Uh, there are no websites yet, but there will be soon. I really like that. You know, you, you really speak into the issues that are really current and really trending, you know, in the lives of many uh, Americans and, and many just people on a global scale here. A, a fundamental percent of uh, Stoic, Buddhist, and Dallas philosophy is that we are all responsible for our own states of mind. If someone else is controlling your mind, for example, uh, by conditioning you to take offense, then you yourself have and dedicated the sovereign throne of your own mind. Uh, while that is truly sad, the responsibility for abdication is yours alone. Can you expound on that? Well, you know I can. <laughs> that's, a that's a great rhetorical question. Thank you for asking. This is one of my uh, pet pet peeves really about one of the things that's happened to our culture over the last 30 years. I've been watching this. I've been in the front lines of this, okay? In the trenches of the academy. And this is where it started. And it's now reached an alarming phase uh, because initially people were taught, I mean, literally taught to confuse offense with harm. When I was growing up, Marcus, in a previous century and we were kids, we were taught sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. And if you had enough dignity as a human being, enough moral worth as a human being, then you could shed that like a duck sheds water. You you would you know you'd not be concerned if other people feel that they have to inflate themselves by denigrating somebody else. That's their problem. It's not your problem. Don't let it be your problem. But for various reasons, which I won't go into, but I'll give you the bottom line: uh, when people have been misled to believe that if they've been offended, they've been harmed then suddenly they're given access to remedies that they really shouldn't have in the first place. Okay, so we are returning back uh, from a short commercial break. Uh, so it uh, looks like we got uh, Dr. Marinoff back. Uh, so uh, we will continue our conversation here. So uh, Dr. Marinoff, uh, looks like we got you back here. So uh, we, we took a quick commercial break. Uh, and, you know, we were, we were last expounding on... Uh, a fundamental percent of Stoic, Buddhist, and Taoist philosophy. And while that is truly sad, the responsibility for education is yours alone, you know, uh, conditioning, but, you know, uh, thinking about how, you know, the mind could be controlled by, you know, um, rather someone else's doing or someone else's offense is um, that of yours, that of your mind generating it. 
did you catch any of what I said before the commercial, or do you? Want yeah, to we, yeah, we we, we caught. Yeah, we caught some of it. Some yeah. of it. Where, where did where do we where do we lose? Where did you lose me, or where did I lose you? So I can kind of pick up where we left off. I don't want to repeat myself. If your listeners already got some of it. Well, we, we got some new listeners um, and viewers joining on. So I, I, I think, you know, if you if you started, you know, um, you know, right about midpoint, you know, you'd be fine. OK, well, I could just recap. I mean, basically, you have a right not to be harmed. And if someone harms you, then they're responsible. Absolutely. And in any kind of reasonably just society, they'll be brought to justice and be held accountable for harming you or me or anybody else. And whether it's a criminal harm or a civil harm, we have due process to help get a remedy, right? We're entitled to a remedy if we're harmed. And if you're harmed, and I hope you're not, you're going to be harmed most likely against your will. And so there should be a remedy in place, and there is. But if we're talking about offense, it's a different story because nobody can be offended against their will. If someone's controlling your mind or mine or the minds of a mob out there and they're telling them, you know, this is offensive, what they're really doing is they're training people to be angry, to be agitated and uh, and to be upset uh, instead of actually striving for uh, maybe a worthwhile cause, but doing it in a nonviolent way. Uh, is is obviously going to be a much more effective way. But what I'm saying is if people are waking up in the morning agitated and resentful and angry, then they are doing themselves a disservice. So uh, if someone offers you an offense, you always have the moral authority to refuse to be offended. There are many great examples of this. And the people who've worked to transform societies in very powerful ways were never offended by the injustices done to them. Rather, they rose above that and they set a very shining moral example for us, whether we're talking about Dr. King in the USA, uh, whether we're talking about Gandhi in India, they, they were actually harmed and were not even offended by that, let alone offended by whatever names people called them. It's very important to recover your sense of moral worthiness. Every human being has dignity within and moral worthiness within. And if you walk around angry or, or hostile or resentful, you are, in fact, are denigrating yourself. Don't let people offend you. You know, uh, so as uh, we were talking, listening to you, you know, you know, this this really is really hard to, for people to, you know, really understand that. In, uh, and I think you know, if people can understand, understand the philosophy behind that, um, we will have more transformers. Uh, we will have people, you know, uh, Less focus on 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 the actual, you know, the, the thing that's generating, you know, like this offense that they 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 so feel so desperately, you know, put so much energy into. Am I right or wrong? I, I think you're right. I think I love the I love our Bill of Rights. I love the First Amendment. I love you know among others, and freedom of expression is one of the cornerstones of any just and civil society. If you lose freedom of expression, you've lost the cornerstone of the foundation. Of freedom altogether. So uh, in in a courtroom, you get two sides of a story, right? And you're not right. getting the whole story because there's more sides than two. There's always a lot of sides, but at least you're getting two sides. You're going to get the prosecution's version. You're going to get the defense's version. And the reason for the adversarial system is that the theory is that the truth is illuminated by contending opinions. We don't always get the truth, and we have complicated rules about evidence, and it's not a simple game, but we do get both versions. We get two sides of a story, and then let a jury make up their mind, and we have presumption of innocence. Now, that's as fair as it can get far from perfect but fair so why should we then tell only one side of a story to students in a classroom 
Excuse me. What, that, what's wrong with that picture? Suddenly we're telling them we have one narrative that explains everything and another narrative is not allowed to be told. And now we're talking about very, very big and important powers that are behind that, not allowing another side of a story to be told. We got the fang on our case, right? Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. They don't like something, they cancel it. This is the cancel culture. Yeah. So people are getting only one side of a story or another side of a story. That's destructive to everybody. We need to shine the lamp of inquiry on every issue. We can only do that if we can speak openly. If we're not allowed to speak once one-on-one about whatever we want to speak about and need to speak about, we're not free anymore. Wow, I really feel like you're speaking to the choir right now. So (laughs) if only only we can just... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget andrews federal credit union is here to help introducing our inflation buster share certificate with five percent apy for seven months now through december 14th bring your money to andrews federal credit union today the inflation buster account must be open with new money andrews federal credit union membership is not just for the military we also serve the community visit andrewsfcu.org Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have a thousand dollar minimum balance to earn advertised APY. Take you up to, you know, uh, some of these uh, people that need to hear what you're talking right now. So uh, that's why we got this platform, and you know, and we bring great minds like you uh, to this platform to freely say you know, say these things. Um, you, and what you're speaking to is, um, you know, people, you know, is a great danger that's happened in many universities um, uh, across this country right now. Uh, so your best good segue here is, uh, you know, your best selling book on um, Plato, not Prozac, uh, states if you're facing dilemma, you know, rather it's handling a relationship, living ethically, dealing with a career change or finding meaning in life. Uh, the world's most important thinkers from centuries past and present would help guide you toward a solution. Can you share some of the wise and timely advice from these philosophers and how we can learn from them today's in today's precious uh, or most precarious um, environment that we all are in. You know, in five minutes or less, it's a big challenge, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's a lot yeah, of, without- there's a great storehouse of wisdom yeah. in philosophy. And what, part of my work and my colleagues in the movement of philosophical practice is to help to make that work accessible to, to people outside the RV tower. Uh, and so, so in a nutshell, Almost every philosopher from the ancient world right through to the present world is someone who said something we can utilize in everyday life. The art is to find the right thought at the right moment, and that can be a real boon to you. It's like turbocharging your engine. You know, when you step on the gas, you need something to happen, something happens, okay? And in your life, sometimes you need the right thought to help you further down that path, or as you like would probably want to say, to transform the moment and create some great opportunity out of a crisis or to transcend an issue or to overcome adversity or however you want to frame it. So Plato, I'll go back to Plato, I'll give you one quick example from let's say four or five thinkers. Plato and Prozac cover 60 thinkers, but Plato uh, has this wonderful theory 
uh, about the pathologos, he says, often what limits people in life is actually themselves. Never mind all the other people who may be in our way or the circumstances that may be in our way. Sometimes we're also self-limiting. And that's because we have beliefs about ourselves which actually are false. And we have to get rid of them. We mistake them for our friends, but they're really our, our foes. So there's a whole set of, of discussions and dialogues that explain to people how to release themselves from the grip of false beliefs about themselves. And that's usually a very liberating thing. Nietzsche, I'll give you an aphorism. This is like take two aphorisms yeah. and call me in the morning, right? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, but we'll do it this way to give people a handle. Nietzsche said, and I quote, that whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Well, that, that, that's an important message for today. Whatever doesn't kill your business will make you stronger. I mean, this is a pretty strong word, kill, but, you know, we're talking about whatever doesn't end, end me, finish me, you know, debilitate me, paralyze me is going to make me stronger. And so, so, and there, and there's more behind that. That's not just a bumper sticker. There's always more behind these things. And by talking to a right. philosopher, you can learn how to utilize those ideas. Thoreau, the New England transcendental, transcendentalists are beautiful. Thoreau said, connect with nature. And, uh, and that's really the important thing to do, especially for urban dwellers get into a park yeah. or get out of the city for a day if you can or get into a green space especially people who are cooped up with each other i already talked about solitude that's a good thing you could use that but the flip side yeah. is you're in a small place with a whole bunch of other people 24 7 and they're your loved ones but they get on each other's nerves so we got not surprisingly domestic violence is up uh, drug and alcohol consumption are up and some of the mental health pundits are saying there's going to be 75,000 suicides of despair in this country I'm saying take a walk in the woods, okay? Instead of all that other stuff, take a walk in the woods and be at peace. This is something Thoreau did in his short and very serendipitous life. So that's another example of communing with nature and recovering our spirit. Nature, nature rekindles the spirit. Uh, Emerson, his mentor, talked about self-reliance, something America was once famous for, and we'd become in some ways too other-reliant. So that's easier said than done, yeah? But we can recapture that spirit of self-reliance. And Emerson's written essays, very intelligible ones, about that very topic that people can read. Go to the French. Go to the existentialists like Camus. Read The Plague. You know, he, he wrote this book, literally, this novel, which is a satire on the Nazi occupation uh, of, a, of an Algerian town uh, in, 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 you know, North Africa. But basically, it's a, a really good story. Uh, read Viktor Frankl on meaning, how to derive meaning from a terrible situation. He was a survivor uh, of, a, of a concentration camp, an extermination camp, and became a logotherapist. And his logotherapy is really philosophy, not psychology. And he's telling you that if you can find meaning in everyday life, in every moment of life, there's great meaning. If you discover that meaning, you'll be okay. You'll be able to get through. So there are lots of little things and also bigger things that philosophy can offer to people, uh, which is not psychotherapy, uh, but which is something else. It's a different kind of resource, and it yeah. can be just what you might need on a given day. Yeah, I'm so right there with you. You know, uh, it, it definitely helped and saved me when I was in the military and, um, you know, going through my roughest and darkest moments. And, and, and even when I returned, I had to get back back to it to, you know, pull me out of the pits. Uh, so, yeah, it's very relevant right now. And, um, you know, speaking of which, you know, in, in people looking for happiness, you know, you have a book called The Middle Way, ABCs of Happiness in a World of Streams. Uh, it shares Strong's beliefs that political, economic, 
educational and other extremisms are tearing uh, America and the West apart. Can you explain uh, further and summarize other highlights from the book? Sure. I'll give you the, the, the quick and, you know, an easy version of it. It's a big book. And as you know, it's, it's called the ABCs of happiness. And the ABCs stand for Aristotle, Buddha, and Confucius, as it happens. Fortuitously, they're the ABCs. And they taught, all of them have something in common, although each one is different. But they all have this thing in common that virtue ethics is actually the key to happiness. And that's inside us. So we're talking about something that nowadays is not very popular in certain quarters. We're talking about what, what Dr. King spoke of, uh, contents of character. Yeah, that being the most precious thing that actually you have and which no one can take from you are the virtues that you yourself exercise and those form and help or help shape the contents of your character. And the ABCs are the ones he read Aristotle. He, he got this straight out of, out of Greek philosophy. He read that stuff. He understood it perfectly well. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm suggesting that people return to it. And all the ABCs have something to offer us. I don't have to tell you or your listeners or remind you that America is, we're in a virtual civil war. I mean, we've been tearing ourselves to pieces for a long time. In my living memory, Marcus, the real problem started with Vietnam. I think that was a high watermark of the division. Yeah. Uh, and I went through it and I was a hippie back in the day. I'm a recovering hippie. So I, I was with this. I was with the <laughs> civil rights movement and I was down with the cause and I wanted all of that stuff to happen. And we were fortunate in Canada not to be drafted to fight in the NAM. But I had a lot of friends who later came back from the NAM and talk about having to renorm what you did in the military. I'm not sure where you served, but uh, you had to renorm yourself to get back, right? I mean, it was a transformation of a different right. kind. And our military are often not well treated. Vietnam was a very unpopular war. And when they came back, they, they were they were being really ill-treated by, by, again, by mobs who could not understand what they went through. And only a little later are we beginning to appreciate the sacrifice. Only now are we allowed to understand things are actually worse after we left, much worse. Not that we should have been there, but things got worse when we left. What are we damned if we do and damned if you don't sometimes? America's been the cops of the world for a century. It's a rotten job, Marcus, and, and America's yeah. been stuck with it, you know? And we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. But we've liberated a, a good chunk of the world in these last hundred years, and we gave it back and never forget. We gave France back to the French. We gave Germany back to the Germans. We gave Italy back to the Italians. We didn't do what Stalin did and confiscate everything and destroy it. So uh, people need to remember America's role as a liberator as well. So anyway, what I'm saying is that we ourselves are now struggling in a conflict which is really pitting two extremes against each other, and we don't have that middle ground. We don't have a shared moral compass. That's what makes it so difficult for us to solve these political and social and educational problems. The middle way is really a critique of both extremes always, the extremes of the far right, the extremes of the far left. They're both not going to take us to a good place. And the ABCs, the virtues of Aristotle, Buddha, and Confucius, if practiced in everyday life, will help to heal these divisions, bring people together, uh, make people fulfilled themselves and functional as a community, and help to restore stability uh, to this great nation. So th that's the message. It's a long read but I think a very worthwhile one for those who are troubled by extremisms. I love, I love it. it. You know, you know, I can't, I can't do nothing but smile. It's <laughs> a good thing. Because <laughs> you can't be angry thing. if you smile, right? No, no, you can't. You can't. It's impossible to, you know. And um, 
I, you know, I just just really hope this goes further than just tonight. Um, and more people should read your book, and, and including myself, I'm going to pick it up myself. Um, do you have any final thoughts on the state of our country and when you believe we will return to some type of normality? or to be a new normal well everyone's hoping for the new normal right the old normal doesn't work the old normal's yeah. not working so well anymore yeah the old bottle gotta go um we're you know we've been stuck into in it for a while so it's time to go yes um so here's what i would say to your to you and to your listeners i mean you're asking a philosopher so don't expect a straight answer okay i'm gonna i'm yeah, gonna throw a curveball i'm gonna throw you a curveball all right uh first curveball is nothing's ever normal Okay, there's no normalcy to begin with. Okay, what we what we do take for normal uh, are situations that change very slowly or imperceptibly. So every day things look pretty much like they looked the day before, and we kind of expect they're going to look that way the day after. You know what I mean? Everything is always changing. The bottom line is that nothing stands still. It's just that if things change very slowly and imperceptibly, we kind of expect things to look like they've always looked and to work like they've always worked. So that's what we call normal. But in fact, everything is unstable, and it's only a matter of time before things change. Democracy itself is a political experiment. It might work for another 200 years, and I hope it does, but it's an experiment, and it could certainly go wrong. So the, the, there's no if you so if you're asking how do we get to a new normal one way to appreciate the present which is where we are dealing uh, only in in a continuous present the past can't be changed the future is open we don't know what it's going to be it's what we make it I believe so the real important thing is what we do now and what we can do now is realize that the world has always changed. People have always gone through periodic kinds of catastrophes, be they natural disasters, be they uh, pandemics, be they wars, be they other kinds of problems. And the human being is remarkable. We're a piece of work, you know, for good and for ill. But but we have adapted to every climate on the planet. We walked all over the planet. When we walked out of Africa, we walked everywhere. Eventually, we settled every kind of possible locale, every habitat, and we thrived in all kinds of circumstances. So I, I have a great deal of optimism that will continue to thrive. But as far as this country goes, we need to heal the wounds that divide us or things are going to get worse before they get better. I just will close with the following, if I may. Uh, I'm not a prophet. I'm only a philosopher. But I predicted the financial meltdown of 2008. It's in the middle way. It's in an earlier version of this book. And if more people had read that, they could have saved themselves a lot of life savings. I predicted it, and I divested what little I had, and I didn't get burned. But a lot of people got very badly burned. We were still recovering from 2008 when this thing hit, actually. Uh, what really, really upsets me and troubles me is that the middle class is so vital to a healthy polity. And our middle class has been really taking a lot of hits over the years. And as the middle class gets weaker, we see this redistribution of wealth. And I'm not a socialist and I'm not a communist, but we need a strong middle class to thrive. And the moral majority is really important. I'm afraid it's been weakened, you know, for a lot of reasons. So basically, um, I also predicted Trump's election in 2016 and Brexit. And I was not popular for standing up and saying, I think this is what's going to happen. It's not because I have a crystal ball, Marcus. I saw the handwriting on the wall. So uh, I think we're at a very critical juncture. 
I'm not predicting this election. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it depends on the moral majority in this country and, and really uh, what they decide is, is what the majority decides is more important to them is what's going to happen. But either way, if we don't find a way to temper the extremes and to exercise virtues and to search for a common good, things that can unite us, let us not use differences as an excuse for conflict. Let us look for values that unite us, and then we would be okay no matter who's in the White House. But if we continue to use differences and different values as a source of conflict, we're going to be in deep trouble. Yeah, I, I think that's the best final thought you can put out there. It really makes a difference. And just to stretch out what you said about, you know, looking for those commonalities, looking for uh, the best way to in, increase that optimism uh, about where we are right now. Uh, I think right now so many people are very pessimistic because they're just so uh, stuck on the negative and so hardcore driven on the negative. And, you know, so, so much of what you said right now uh, identifies the remedy to uh, fight back against that, you know, and I, uh, and gently say fight back against it, you know, we, we don't want to fight back aggressively. But thank you. And, you know, I think it's we're walking the walk. We're not just talking the talk because dialogue is the key to this. If yes. you look in the mirror every day and tell your and say the same speech to yourself, it doesn't get you. It doesn't get you very far, no matter what that speech is. If you repeat the same narrative to yourself every day, it doesn't change anything. But if you sit down with somebody and you know what toleration means, tolerance is a very positive virtue. Also, tolerance means getting along with people who disagree with us. By the way, tolerance is easy if your next door neighbor thinks the same as you think. That's not tolerance. That's you know you think the same way as your neighbor does. But we have to have dialogue. We need to open a space up to be able to sit down like human beings would sit down and discuss, you know, where we agree and where we disagree. The very fact of doing that is a way of knitting together the personal and the social fabric and eventually the political fabric, because we will then elect leaders who want to have dialogue. What I'm seeing now is the opposite in this country. I'm seeing I'm seeing husbands and wives who can't talk to each other because they're on opposite sides of the political fence. I'm seeing relationships break up because it's a deal breaker. Who you're going to vote for becomes a deal breaker. This is like the Civil War. We had that. We did that where the dividing line ran right through households, right through families. It turned brother against brother. It turned father against son. You know this. It's in the history if that hasn't been canceled yet. But we know how awful a civil war is. Why do we have to refight another civil war? We already made such great progress in the directions I think most Americans in their hearts feel are the right ones. We have to keep going that way and not, and not quarrel violently with each other. So I'm, I'm an optimist, but we have to be able to talk. If we, if we shut down the debate, my friend, then, then we're done. Yeah, I love it. Um, but, but, but thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Meredith, or Lou. You know, so Lou, Lou I know please. We, talked about, we talked about Lou uh, on the other end, so I can't help him. My matter is on swamp, you know. <laughs> uh, so tell us where we can learn more about you. You know, I, I know we've been scrolling around the screen, but out your own mouth will, will definitely help us and where we can find um, most of your books. Well, well, they're on, you know, I, I've been, I've been bashing the fang and now I'm sending everybody there. Amazon, uh, Amazon owns all the books and on a good day, they deliver them now. I mean, they, you know, please help, <laughs> Jeff, on a good help day. out Jeff Bezos. I think he's, you know, he only made 10 billion yesterday. He probably needs a little more. Uh, so, you know, you can find my books 
on Amazon or on my website, which you, I think you had displayed. So if you Google me or whatever, you'll pick up all the books and they're, uh, they're all in paperback and they're all in, in ebook too. And I would really advise people to dip into a little philosophy and wake up that inner philosopher and it'll do you power good. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's definitely been a pleasure tonight. You know, so uh, do, do hold briefly here and uh, while we close out here. Uh, so, um, ladies and gentlemen, you know, um, boys and girls uh, who are uh, watching or listening uh, and those who will have the opportunity to, to play back um, the, uh, the, the the alternate version of this. Uh, we, we thank you for tuning in here today. Uh, we, we hope you have enjoyed it, in which I know you have because I, I can just tell uh, for from your engagement that you have. So uh, if you made it this far, I want you right now to take the time out to share this wonderful episode with someone that you know, someone you, that you don't know as it is very important and take the time out too to check out the website loumarinoff.com that's loumarinoff.com we do have that website in the episode description uh you can find that there and um and if you're having a hard time locating it just contact us you know at transform you dot uh, transform you dot us that's transform the letter you dot us or transform you broadcast.com that's transform the letter you broadcast.com this is the transform you live show the only show where, where you can make real life and business transformation harnessing the power optimism hope and faith i'm your host tonight marcus art as always many blessings peace and lots of love Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Transform You Live show. We do this every Wednesday, of course, with some many interviews in between times. So don't forget to share. Check us out at TransformYouBroadcast.com. That's TransformYouBroadcast.com or TransformYou.us. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.